Hi, I'm Joanna Rothkopf. And I'm Prachi Gupta. And we're the hosts of Jezebel's Big Time Dicks. We look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. And we speak with incredible guests like Senator Elizabeth Warren. What Donald Trump has done threatens the security of the United States. And we specifically focus on issues affecting women and people of color. This is really making people hold their families closer. People are afraid to go to work. People are afraid to send their children to school. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to an all-new episode of Dirtcast. I am your esteemed host, yep, Madeline Davies. I am sitting here with the beautiful, the talented Megan Reynolds, back from a week of fun and sun in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Maddie. What a what a wonderful introduction. Later in the episode, we have a special projects desk reporter Anna Merlin coming on. She will be talking to us about the current R. Kelly. Scandal, I guess we could call it. The brouhaha, to put it very, very lightly, considering that it's about potential sexual misconduct and Mm -hmm. abuse. He's believed to be involved with like six people who live with him. And the allegation is that the younger women who are like 18 and 19 were interested in having singing or acting careers. And these, of course, are allegations that R. Kelly denies. That was too light. I apologize. (laughs) It's really, it's pretty bad. How are you doing, Megan? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. As I was telling you before, I just lightened my pockets a little bit, (laughs) uh, spending way too much money on skincare products that I probably won't need. But that is uh, the cross I bear. That's fine. In life, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is a pretty light cross, I guess. Considering all the other crosses you could have, that seems like okay. Maybe like the avocado cream I got will be a little bit heavier, but you know. Um, That sounds lovely. Yeah. Well, that I just got a little sample of, a little Mm -hmm. eye cream, an Mm -hmm. avocado eye cream, because I've decided that it's time. Having hit 30, it's time to at least just preventative eye cream. I mean, you could just like pat it on and see. I mean, and I'm sure in 10 years from now, everyone will be like, everything they were doing was actually bad. True. That Um, is how beauty works. It's cyclical in that way. It's cyclical, and we're oftentimes just tricked into buying things. Very easily. Because of packaging and what have you. Yep. That's why I buy all of Glossier. Yeah. I'm happy to be duped. I love being duped. Nothing. Dupe me, beauty industry. (laughs) Like, Um, do it up. I kind of was interested. Have you tried the cloud paint? Oh, yes. I'm wearing it right now, in fact. Are you? Yes. Okay. And you like it? I love it. Okay. That was another Highly thing last night. I was like, do I want to pull the trigger it's on this? It's cheap and there's so much of it. Oh, yeah. There's like a ton, but you have to be really careful when squeezing it out because like five days worth will squeeze out with one just like... One little... Just one little... <laughs> 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 um, so just use caution, but um, I highly recommend it. All right. It's pretty good. I have to be a, I don't, I get to be, I have the honor of being a bridesmaid for the very first time. And for some reason, I'm like very much panicking about my makeup. Oh, I would, no, that's what, I feel like that's what you do when you're in a wedding or at a wedding and it's not your wedding. You just like, yes, it's the bride's time to shine, but But also like. like, I'm standing up there. Yeah, you also want to look look at me. There's going to be a thousand pictures. I don't have a ring on this finger yet. (laughs) You need to you need to look you need to look good. You need and to look you like will. a prize. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's the purpose of weddings is to look like a prize. That's what you guys are lined up next to her. So that some man maybe wants to marry mm-hmm. you. You just get scooped up. What a dream. What a dream. Marriage. Oh, oh I want us to be married. <laughs> I love marriage. 
Um, my favorite thing to do is to heckle my partner by just like sticking my bare ring finger oh in his face, God. even though I like we are far from that, that point in our, right. of our lives mm-hmm. and I don't want that at all. Mm-hmm. But I just um, anytime he asks anything of me, I'm just like, well, yep. I used to do that. We're not engaged. Yep. It's actually really fun. Yeah. And they're just like, okay, cool. (laughs) Just like walk into the other room. You're like, but we're not. I'm not doing it. Okay. All righty. And then that's, and that's, that's a modern relationship. Yeah. Modern relationship. One person heckling another person about something that neither of them wanted to. Yelling about an institution that like means nothing to either party (laughs) and then like leaving. Perfect. That's so sweet. I love that. That's Sounds such a like nice a story. Nicholas Sparks novel. <laughs> Let's talk about the dirtiest dirt. I would love to. Apparently, Alex Jones, a professional troll and beached whale of a beached whale of a human being. Or like a beached beluga. Belugas are nice though. Or I feel like they're cute. I guess it's like but when they were like dead. Oh, no, no, that's not good. Kind of like roasted by the sun. Yeah. Okay, I get what you're saying. Man, okay. I'm not wishing death upon no, a beluga. No, definitely not. Nor am I wishing Alex Jones upon Correct. a beluga. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex Jones, who is a gross man. Yes. I think that's a generous, I think that's nice. Enough. Yeah. He's a gross man. He's a grifter. He is a grifter. Um, he loves conspiracy theories. Um, he has a website called InfoWars. And recently he ran into Spencer and Heidi Pratt. Who you likely know from the hills. Um, while they were in Hawaii on vacation. As and, we all do. Yep. I mean, every time I'm on vacation, I see Spencer and Heidi. Yeah, and right? then you're just like, hey, let's do a surprise interview. Yep, like about, here's my crew. Yeah, about just, conspiracies. Yep, and so that is exactly what happened. <laughs> they talked to each other for 30 minutes, and... Uh, I would not recommend even watching this video. No, no um, I have not, in fact. <laughs> I will not. I mean, it's like 30 minutes of just like watching the lamest people. Like be lame on a beach. Yeah, mm. um, but there are some... Good tidbits. There are some good tidbits. I mean, we'll save you the time. We'll save you from clicking. We'll save you a click. (laughs) Um, On an InfoWars video. So this is actually not Spidey's first time on InfoWars. This is a repeat performance because apparently they said death to the new world order. And they actually credit that for ruining their careers. (laughs) So we were chanting death to the new world order about 10 years ago after watching all your documentaries. And then about a week later, we are no longer on television and haven't had a consistent TV gig. That's what just brought down Spidey. Mm -hmm. Not the fact that they like don't have a marketable skill. Yeah. Death to the new world order. Death to the new world order. I take it back. I take it back. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Spencer and Heidi are, like, pretty sure that they were the targets of, like, a hit, kind of? Or, like, basically that a bunch of people in their entourage started dying under mysterious circumstances. And Mm -hmm. what I loved is that of the people who died, Mm. one of them was Heidi's plastic surgeon. (laughs) Um, It's like, I don't know. A lot of them are not. It's weird to, like, include them in your entourage. What's crazy, if we want to go to, like, dark, dark, you know, multiple people die that were in our entourage. Yeah. That, uh, hi, our lawyer was allegedly, 
he he's no longer alive, right, when this was all happening. Well, there's a lot of yeah. death in TV. Our lawyer's not Heidi's plastic surgeon, no longer alive. So, I mean, it was so... Um, I'm very stakes got so curious as to why the New World people, Order yes. um, is so hell-bent on taking like, out their, Spidey. Like, their entire circle. So, apparently, after their entourage was, you know, being picked off by the new whoever, um, they went to Costa Rica, per Heidi, because they were concerned, which is fair. I suppose if you're concerned about anything, Costa Rica is like a good place to go, right? Yeah, I mean, I would like to go to Costa Rica right now. Yeah, and I'm not really terribly concerned about much right maybe now. we should be i mean maybe maybe i will yeah we're mocking right. hider hider <laughs> we're, mo- we are mocking yeah. Heider, we're mocking so. spidey <laughs> i mean we could be next we could be next i do really like that these are like three celebrities yeah. who have sort of event invented their own lore mm-hmm. and sort of are very self-made but yeah. in like the least admirable way yes um and i like I don't like. I mean, it's it's gross that they're all friends, but the fact that they just had this nice co- conversation, I know, it's, is very odd. Do you think they hang out like outside of this very staged, casual, random meetup on a beach in Hawaii? Because it just seems so implausible that right. obviously it seems very implausible that that happened organically because it certainly did not. Right. But what? Who? Who's pulling the strings here? Who is who is the person that was like, okay, guys, like this this is gonna really help. Like, I, like I have a I have a cure for like your disease, which is like not enough time in the spotlight. Right. Let me get you in front of Alex Jones on a beach, talking about Sandy Hook talking and about Russia. Sandy Hook and on this whole Russia. Russia. If you go to DC or New York, there are Russians and Chinese and people from India and people from Israel, people from the UK, people from France, the EU, and people from the Vatican and people from Saudi Arabia. There are PR people and lobbyists crawling out of the walls. Black helicopters. We definitely had multiple black helicopters hovering above our hill set with 30 witnesses like, what's going on? God so as a like, production oh, designer. <laughs> what's amazing is the production value that God gave us, speaking of God and Christianity or, you know, believing in a higher power and, and this amazing artwork that, you know, God's created. We come out here and right on time, this huge double rainbow forms. It just, it just um, disappears. Globalism. Globalism in general. I will say it was Heidi's music producer at the time, shout out Steve Morales, who was like, you got to tell the world, Spidey. You got to tell it. He had all your documentaries and just got us so pumped up. Mm, and yes. crystals. I do love Spencer's quote about crystals. Yeah, like, yeah, like when I started buying crystals, it was so out there. Now it's trendy and everyone buys crystals. So, Thanks, Spencer. Uh, True. I mean, kind of. That's the thing. He, he was gooping before goop gooped. He was gooping before goop gooped. He was... On that crystal Instagram life before Instagram was on that. Right. Um, riding the crystal wave. Riding the crystal wave. It sounds like doing like maths it or does. something. But it, it, we don't know. We don't know. Speculation. <laughs> um, I mean, he was out of all of the things that they said. I think that is correct. I do. I would like to read this one quote from Spencer about uh, fake news which just made me laugh. He said, um, editing is the original fake news as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Right? <laughs> like, okay. Uh, I just, I would love to know just like how, what is a day like with them? I mean, I don't know if I actually want to like experience it, but I, they, they fascinate me and I think they're really dumb at the same time. I bet they would 
more than willingly spend the day with you. You're right. I mean, our former EIC, oh God, Emma Carmichael, spent the day with them did. once and she said did. that they were very nice. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. I don't think, I have no reason to believe that they're mean. I just think that they're crazy. This is one of those conversations that is like only a dash entertaining to me because mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. If you're going to give like Alex Jones the time of day. Yeah. And that goes for Spidey and that goes for Megan Kelly and mm-hmm. it goes for, I mean, even us right now. Right us. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Like you are a part of the cycle. but illuminating profile of Liz Smith. So she was sort of this renowned gossip columnist who got let go from the post in 2009. Mm -hmm. She apparently offered to write for the Daily News for free and got dissed. She's 94, Mm -hmm. has recently had a stroke, Mm -hmm. uh, and the New York Times interviewed her in this really sort of tragic profile about how just forgotten and lost she feels. It read kind of like an obit. Yeah, it's like her own obit and like that she's talking her way through. she's like controlling a little bit, which is, I mean, I think if you're going to, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was interesting. It was also very sad. I mean, she basically was like, bylines used to matter. Yeah. And (laughs) that feels, that feels really dark. She tells the New York Times, I don't think my name could sell anything now. It used to mean, bylines used to mean something in journalism. Most people have forgotten about so-called powerful people like me. We served our time. Which I guess is true for probably any career. It's Mm -hmm. cyclical. Yeah. It's probably very weird if you were once like the toast of the celebrity gossip scene. Mm -hmm. And she's really unique because she got there by befriending celebrities. And she wasn't like a Perez Hilton type who became famous for being mean or, you know, invading privacy. Mm -hmm. She was a friend of theirs. She was friends with Bette Midler. She was friends with the Trumps. She was friends with all of these people. And so they would give her these exclusives that no one else could get. And so she kind of became the socialite of her own right. She was Mm -hmm. very powerful. Um, And now we're living in such a different era for celebrity gossip, which we talk about a lot in here, where blogging has really changed things. You know, Instagram has really changed things. Twitter, like, all of it. Yeah, and it's like, well, why, you know, why have this prestige reporter doing gossip columns for you when you can get, like, a young blogger who you can pay Mm $35,000 a year to hammer it out quicker and still get those page views? Right. She's had a very interesting career. I actually, after reading this this morning, I... um. I think I'm going to buy her autobiography on Amazon. Yeah. That was my, like, my one instinct after this. I was like, oh, I should know more about her. I bet the stories are so good, I know. She seems very fascinating. And it was a sad, it was a sad little profile. There's another portion of it that she's sort of reflecting back on where she is now. And it Mm -hmm. just, like, made me think a lot about aging. Mm -hmm. Not my own aging, but, like, just the way that we as a culture just, like, value youth above everything. Mm -hmm. And she says... I'm in search of Liz Smith. After a lifetime of fun and excitement and money and feeling important and being in the thick of it, Mm -hmm. I am just shocked every day that I'm not the same person. I think that happens to all old people. 
They're searching for a glimmer of what they call their real self. They're boring mostly, which is just like, you're not boring. You live like an incredible life. Yeah. I mean, and also like you're 94. Like, it's okay. Like, just, just I mean, like, relax. Take it easy. Get a massage. Yeah. I don't know. Just sit down. But yeah, I just like, I think that's so far away from me that I can't imagine that sudden irrelevance Mm-mm. that I'm sure is like looming for all of us. It's, and I mean, everyone will eventually, very few people I feel are relevant till the end, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So eventually it peaks and then it eventually sort of begins its decline. And then you just sort of, you deal with it and maybe get into gardening or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's like, again, it's like you have to do some like, uh, something that she probably considers very depressing. Like, yes. oh, I have to do like this old lady activity when yeah. I want to be out at a mixer with like at a party. With Ivanka. Right. <laughs> um, or I like, guess Ivana, right? That was mm-hmm, the one she knew, mm-hmm. which is how she got the scoop uh, the Trump on, scoops. on Trump's uh, divorce. And he does not like her. He certainly does not. Um, this is actually a related aside. So you're going to think, what is she talking about? I'm Don't ready. worry, I'm going to loop her back around. Can't wait. Did you see Girl Strip? Not yet. There is a subplot of Girl's Trip, and this is not giving away anything, okay. where Queen Latifah's character is a gossip blogger. Oh, nice. That is her job, is she is sort of, um, she has a, a blog, I think, called Sasha Says. <laughs> and it's like, it's just her dishing celebrity scoops. Mm-hmm. And it is such a funny portrayal of blogging that it was both unrealistic and made me feel so bad about myself, <sighs> where it was just like, one, people kept asking her, like, you have a degree in journalism. Why don't you do actual journalism? And I was just like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not that I have a degree in journalism. I'm a hack anyway. Um, And then so much of it was about clicks. Like that was her her drama was that her site wasn't getting enough clicks. Oh, Jesus. Um, But it was also very funny because it was like, I promise I'll get you a post this weekend. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you should be so lucky to write one post, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to... 20 a day or whatever. But again, it was like, kind of made me look inward, just as this uh, profile has... Anytime there is like a blogger in popular culture, like on TV, like it it makes me feel bad. Yeah. At first. Pretty much not even at first, just continually. Yeah. Just sort of like... (laughs) And we're like universally hated. Yeah. Which is fine. It's okay. I'm fine Um, with it. There's a line in... Glow that I really liked. I haven't seen that yet. Either. I'm very behind on things. That's okay. But uh, Mark Marin at one point tells Alison Bree's character, Satan gets all the best lines. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> fine, I will be Satan. That's true. That's a good <laughs> point. I'm. I accept that. Next on our list is Angelina Jolie's cover story on um, Vanity Fair's September issue. This one's a doozy. It is a real doozy. It's a big story that does not contain a lot about what you think it would, which is the details, any detail about her divorce from Brad Pitt. In contrast, I would say, to Brad Pitt's... um, the profile of him in GQ. GQ style or whatever it was when he was like 
posing in a sad sort of way at various national parks and talking about sculpture and like how he stopped smoking weed and all this other stuff. Um, this story, she didn't really talk much about the divorce, but what she like s- mentioned it a couple times and like the writer is like, terms. oh, anger flickered across her face. Yeah. But she at one point says like the reason why her house isn't decorated was because Brad was the de- decorator. Yeah. And then the other thing she says is something like, uh, we have respect for each other. Mm-hmm. We're going to do this process with respect for our children, basically. Right. She was very tight-lipped about it. Which is all to say they hate each other. Yeah, they fucking hate each other. But she basically used this profile to talk mostly about her film, which is coming out on Netflix. It's called First They Killed My Father. So the movie is based on a memoir by a woman named Long Ung who was basically conscripted to fight with the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Cambodia has been a very special place for her. She adopted her son Maddox from Cambodia. After visiting, she felt very connected to the country. She It drove her to become a UN ambassador. She has done a lot of landmine removal projects. She's a citizen as well. And Luang is a dear friend of mine who I met over 15 years ago. Reading her book taught me a lot about this country. So in a way, I'm doing this for her, for her family, for Cambodia, and very much so also for Maddox. So he learns about who he is and knows who his people are. So one of the things that was mentioned in this cover story, which was sort of a fluff piece, mostly like a long-ass press release for this movie, which is coming out in an attempt to distract from the divorce. And also probably, I mean, I think she wants people to watch it. And she does want people to watch the movie, yes. But was a description of the audition process for the film, which is quite bad. Yeah, I mean, so because it's like about a child, Angelina Jolie, of course, had to cast a little girl. Mm -hmm. And it's in like, you know, the native language. To cast it, she like kind of pulled the same thing that like uh, Danny Boyle did with Slumdog Millionaire where he like very proudly went to orphanages and like hand selected went to the slums yeah and the story that came out of this that people are really latching on to because it just feels it's insane it just feels very manipulative and exploitative so here is a segment from the Vanity Fair profile To cast the children in the film, Jolie looked at orphanages, circuses, and slum schools, specifically seeking children who had experienced hardship. In order to find their lead, to play young Long Ung, the casting director set up a game, rather disturbing in its realism. They put money on the table and asked the child to think of something she needed the money for, and then to snatch it away. The director would pretend to catch the child, and the child would have to come up with a lie. Sri Moch, the girl ultimately chosen for the part, was the only child that stared at the money for a very, very long time, Jolie says. When she was forced to give it back, she became overwhelmed with emotion. All these different things came flooding back. Jolie then tears up. When she was asked later what the money was for, she said her grandfather had died and they didn't have enough money for a nice funeral. Ah, (laughs) fuck. Jesus Christ. It's just like... I mean... Listen, my first question is, why would you do that? My second question is, what what's what, what's like insane about this to me is how is as at the end how she gets so emotional about right. it, right? Because she's really just, I mean, why would it just? It's 
Right. And it's like her grandfather is still dead. Yeah. She still wasn't able to, her family still wasn't able to pay it for the funeral. It was a game. It yeah. was a game. We don't know if she got the fucking money or not. It was a game. Right. To like cast like the perfect like downtrodden orphan for her Khmer Rouge movie. Like cool. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Like get it together. What is wrong with you? I mean, and she like had a comment about it afterwards because immediately oh, yeah. Every- it got so much flack. Oh, here we go. Here's her comment. I'm upset that a pretend exercise in an improvisation from an actual scene in the film has been written about as if it was a real scenario. The suggestion that real money was taken from a child during an audition is false and upsetting. I would be outraged myself if this had happened. So it's like, did it happen? Like, what are you (laughs) saying? Like, Like they're saying it's like a scene from the movie. Right. But it's been presented as like an improvisational exercise. In an attempt to actually cast the film. And... What's interesting is that either the writer of the Vanity Fair piece was intentionally ambiguous about this scene or she literally just like listened to what Angelina Jolie said and was like, okay, that sounds, I guess, like, I guess that's how you cast this movie is by picking a bunch of orphans out of a lineup and then like tricking them with money. Like, what the fuck? What is wrong with you? To be honest, I found this whole profile very weirdly written. It was very weird. Like, it was this weird attempt to paint Angelina Jolie as normal, which every single thing suggests otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I cannot muster hate for Angelina Jolie because I do think that she works very hard to Mm -hmm. do a lot of good. Mm -hmm. I think her heart is in the right place. Mm -hmm. I think she's done more than I ever will. You know, she she is, like, actively involved. She isn't just, like, collecting children from various countries. She wants them to have, you yeah. know, roots there. Yeah. And so, no, I agree yeah, with you there. I, yeah. like, I, like it's, I cannot find it in me to be, like, she's horrible. Right. You know? Um, but at the same time, I also can't find it in me to be, like, this is just a struggling single mom. And oh, there were not. multiple, there were, like, multiple gestures that alluded that, to that. Right. Or, you know, like, things that the writer had written that, would sort of suggest where, I don't know, they like, talk about moving to their new mansion. Their giant house where, like, everything's creamy white. That was the adjective that was used, like, a bajillion times in the first two paragraphs. Yeah. To describe, like, her caftan and then, like, her couch and the walls and a bunch of unlit candles and all of the shit. And, like, I don't, I agree with you on all of your points about how she is doing a lot of good and she is... She's doing a lot. Yes, she's doing a lot more than I also will ever do in my life. Yeah. But she, a struggling single mother, she, she was, is well, not. They say they're like, she's like, we've been living out of out of a rental for the past several life months. Life is like, hard. Living out of our suitcases. I'm like, yeah, but it's like Louis Vuitton luggage and your rental is a mansion yeah. with a pool. Like, And you're just like, it's not. I mean, and I don't know if it's that's just how this was presented mm-hmm. or if. Well, it's hard to say because the way that the profile is written is that it's very it's either intentionally ambiguous or Angelina Jolie actually presented herself as like a a struggling single mother. Yeah. I would like to think because of all of the reasons why it's okay, why I feel like it's fine not to dislike her, I would like to think that this is just on like Vanity Fair's bad as opposed to what Angelina Jolie actually said because I do think that she probably has a little bit of self-awareness. Yeah. Like a nibble, not not... I mean, I don't know how much self-awareness. Maybe a cele- maybe a celebrity of her stature has like a t- like more like has leveled up to like another level of self-awareness that like you and I will never have. I have no right. idea. Or they just don't have any at all because they've been famous for so long. I don't know. 
I guess it's one of those things where I don't want to read about celebrities who are like me. No, it's definitely like, not. I want to read about celebrities for escapism and to yeah. hear about like the ridiculous things they do. Right. Where it's just like, she's like, oh yeah, it's finally like I'm learning how to cook and pick up dog poop and just be a homemaker. Right. Like, oh, I spilled tea on the couch. It's fine. Like, here's your blanket. Like, go get the thing. Like, all right, cool. Like, no, I have friends I could talk to if I wanted to hear about like the trials and tribulations of motherhood. Oh, here's the quote. Okay. I've been trying for nine months to be really good at just being a homemaker and picking up dog poop and cleaning dishes and reading bedtime stories. And I'm getting better at all three. But now I need to get my boots on and go hang, take a trip. Which is just like... Okay. Lots of women want to go get their boots on and take a trip, but they like don't have the option. I mean... Just stop. Also, bitch, you have a maid. Yeah, you have a maid and you have nannies. Like, it's okay for you to have your Rottweiler who's covered in mud jump on your white couch. Because someone's going to clean it up. Yeah, Pretty I don't quickly. Know. You and, buy a new couch. Fuck. And like you said, I'm not sure if this is just how Vanity Fair is presenting this. Right. Or just, I don't know. I found it just so... The framing is really weird. There's I another think. line, too, about how she really wanted to... She wanted... Maddox, her oldest son, to, like, connect organically to Cambodia because right. that's where it's from. Right. And the line is just so unrelatable when it's... Jolie was thrilled one morning during the shoot when she heard Maddox say, can I go sleep in my house with my friends? So it's like, yes, you can go sleep in your house. Like, <laughs> like what is wrong? Like, I, you're like a, a baby with a house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we don't need to see celebrities being real because we all know that even though we are all people, celebrities are mostly operating on like a different level of experience than we are. Yeah. And buying into the whole celebrity package is understanding that and then being enthralled to like that that whole thing. Like yeah. the, it's it's the escapism. There's no, I don't want to hear her try to like slum it by like, yeah, yeah suitcases, muddy couch. Yeah. Right. Also, just be like, I am so rich. I have an opportunity to give back. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Do that. That's fine. People will accept that much more. So here is Vanity Fair's portrait of struggling single mother Angelina Jolie. There's the Angelina Jolie, who's now a single mother, managing the day-to-day -day chaos of six kids and the trauma of her split from Brad Pitt. And... There's the Angelina Jolie, whose latest movie, a groundbreaking Netflix original about Cambodia's genocide, is also a thank you to the nation that transformed her. At her new L.A. mansion, Jolie reveals the tension between the two Angelinas and the reasons her life will never be normal. I mean, the reason your life will never be normal is because you're really fucking famous. And you're Angelina you're, Jolie. You're Angelina Jolie. You're John Voight's daughter. Your life was not going to be normal from the jump. Raising these six children... And then also juggling, like, your responsibilities with your movie are, like, that is normal for you. Right. I mean, and to, to in all fairness, yes. my difficulties to some other person are a walk in the park. Same. Like, no matter yep. who you are, like, divorce sucks. Mm -hmm. And no matter who you are, like, if you're a mom like or a parent in general, mm -hmm. there's going to be moments where you want to pull your hair out. Yeah, of course. Um, the difference, of course, is that most of us can't. Afford, afford help. A, a, a slew of nannies no, no to trot, or like tutors to trot around the globe yeah. with us um, and our children. Yeah, because no, most normal women couldn't have the kind of job that she does because their children, yeah, their children couldn't be out of school like that. There are no tutors. There are no nannies. 
There's no, you know, someone to fucking fill the fridge with whatevs, like gogurts and whatever the fuck they eat. Right. <laughs> Mostly gogurt. Yeah, but it's like Siggy. Yeah, Siggy gogurt. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, which again, I don't think she should have to apologize for no. that. And I think she is giving her children a very exciting upbringing. Certainly. But Vanity Fair, please don't try to convince me that that's normal. Because I won't believe you. No. Really. I don't. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, despite her being, like, slightly dangerous to the medical community, this sure. is why I've always um, enjoyed Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh. <laughs> because she is so rich and grew up in such a bubble. And yeah. she just has no awareness about it. So None. she'll just say things that's just like, yes, of course it's fine to, uh, you know, buy a $5,000 Dutch oven. <laughs> like, yeah, you can do that. Or, like, her essay about being a working mom was so enjoyable because it was just, like, well, and then the nanny comes and yep. I have to go upstairs and do work. And yep. it's just so hard. And it's like, I'm sure it is hard. I'm sure it's very hard. But, you know. That sounds difficult. She has. <laughs> that sounds trying for you, madam. It's, yeah, I don't know. It was just, I think that she is entertaining in that way until she starts being like, don't go to the doctor. <laughs> Why should you go to the doctor? Just read Goop. Put a rock in your Take pussy. Take these vitamins. <laughs> yeah. I have a jade egg for you to shove up your vagina. <laughs> Welcome. This will help. This will cure everything. Yeah, aside from that, my favorite Gwyneth Paltrow, this is not my favorite Gwyneth Paltrow fact that I heard, I forget where, is that she allows herself one American Spirit cigarette like a year. <gasps> That's a great fact. Isn't that nice? Yes. Can you just imagine that? Just like sitting quietly like in the back of her, one of her like many homes, <laughs> smoking one American Sp- American Spirit like very slowly and just like putting it out and leaving. Yeah, I just, love uh... that. Love that fun fact. It's a very fun fact. Um, and you know that, she, yeah, she's just like staring dead into mm-hmm. a fire. Yep, yep, yep. Or she's just like gazing at like the crashing Pacific, <laughs> just smoking that cigarette, like throwing it over the cliff. And then like, who cares about like brush fires or whatever? Just, and yeah. then just back into her house. It's her one a year. It's, it's her, her time. One, it's her time. It's Gwyneth's time. It's GP time. And she needs it. Yeah, and Angelina needs her time. She does. And she, I guess, is taking it, I suppose, but... Yeah, she's headed to Zimbabwe. That's right. Onward. Onward and upward, Angelina. Just don't do this with kids again. I don't know. Don't do this with kids. And just, like, accept that she even says in a part of the profile, I'm not normal. So just accept that. Just roll with it. We all know that. And if you know that, then, like, we're on the same fucking page. Yeah, then we can be friends. Then we can be friends. (laughs) Best Today in the studio, we have special projects, desk reporter, Jezebel reporter, overall cool lady, Anna Merlin. For people who don't know, the special projects desk is this strange little unit within Gizmodo Media now where we work on longer stories, but I was at Jezebel for a year and a half or two years before that, and all my work still appears on Jezebel, so I don't know, basically. (laughs) We're we're keeping you, basically. Yeah, I'm I'm not a very exciting guest is the upshot, but anyway. I don't agree. Okay. But we are having you on today because you um, have been covering the R. Kelly scandal, which um, 
R. Kelly has a very long history of being accused of uh, pursuing underage girls. Yes. Um, and recently, Chicago reporter Jim Derogatis has been reporting on R. Kelly for decades now. He just posted a very long, detailed article on BuzzFeed called Inside the Pied Piper of R&B's Cult, and then cult was in quotes, about how R. Kelly is allegedly brainwashing a group of women who are of age, um, but just barely. The allegation is that it is legal, barely, on the right side of legal in sort of every sense, barely, but sort of morally wrong. Yes. <laughs> that, that people be, are being isolated, coerced, and controlled. He's believed to be involved with like six people who live with him. And the allegation is that the younger women who are like 18 and 19 were interested in having singing or acting careers yeah. and were sort of connected with R. Kelly through their parents. And then, you know, instead of having singing or acting careers, they have careers as people who live in R. Kelly's houses and aren't allowed to do much right. <laughs> beyond that. Like, we can't say concubines. Right. But, but we're, that's what we're saying. Um, <laughs> and, of course, it's worth noting that after the R. Kelly story came out, one of these women, um, Joycelyn Savage, who's 20, gave two interviews to TMZ where she was like, I am fine. Yeah. I'm not being prevented from going anywhere. You know, my dad knew about this arrangement. I don't know why he's saying he didn't. You are not being held against your will or doing anything that you do not want to do. Oh, ne no, not at all. I've never been feeling hostage or anything like that in that nature. Never. Um. So, yeah, at least one of these women has said, like, I am not in a cult. Right. But she also declined to say where she lives, yeah. uh, if she's free to go, uh, or who she lives with. So, you know, it's a. it feels a little weird. feels a little funny. Right. Well, and right after Jim's piece came out, mm -hmm. um, someone contacted you. Right. And she is someone who supposedly had a ongoing sexual relationship with R. Kelly. Yeah. And she used the word Stockholm Syndrome. She did. Um, this person contacted the Jezebel Tips line and was basically like, you know, I've been involved with this person for a little bit over a year. Um, I have photos. I have receipts. Like, I have proof. And yeah. I want to talk about what I saw. And she was really unusual because when I got back to her, she had already thought about the fact that what she told me was going to identify her to R. Kelly, she had already sort of come to terms with the idea that, like, she was out of that situation, that they were not going to see each other anymore. Yeah. And so basically what she described is that she was free to come and go, and she had sort of been under the impression that the other girls were also, but that she also perceived a bunch of sort of strange rules, things like, you know, the girls not being able to really talk to each other about their personal lives, um, having to keep their heads down, when they're out with R. Kelly in public places, um, very controlling behavior, including really controlling behavior sexually. And yeah. so she said that it made her uncomfortable, that she thought it was weird, that she would have situations where she would be looking around like, does anyone else think this is weird? And then when she read the BuzzFeed story, some things kind of fell into place and she decided that she wanted to talk to us about what she had seen. Well, and I think that's what makes it hard for a lot of people to sympathize with these women? Is it sort of this idea of like, well, you've heard the rumors. Why didn't you think about that before going in? I right. mean, and I think that that is a very judgmental take in that it's like, yeah, sure. But if someone is a powerful, charismatic person, like yeah. smarter people have been duped by dumber people, I will say. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I was thinking about that and we addressed it a little bit when I was talking to her because, you know, this person is, she's not in her 
teens. You know, she's in her 20s. Um, and she was, you know, aware of some of the allegations. I mean, I think the allegation that everyone sort of knows about, uh, no matter how unfamiliar they are with R. Kelly, is that he was accused of making a sex tape with a 15-year-old girl in which right. he infamously urinated on her. Right. And what's weird to think about is that the time that this happened, at the time that the allegation came out, which was in, I think, 2002, but it was sort of like, almost like a punchline. Like right. people made a lot of jokes about R. Kelly liking to pee on people, but the there fact was like that a it was, whole Dave Chappelle sketch based on it. Right. Yeah, and I, I was looking at something that you wrote in like 2013 that was really good because it just talks about this really long history of sort of like weird, almost like deflection mm-hmm. on the part of the public where you know, this person was being accused of, like, of sexually abusing a teenager. And what came out instead was, yeah, like you're, like we're saying, just sort of comedy. But so what happened was, you know, R. Kelly did eventually, after a lengthy delay, went to trial on child pornography charges, not, like, statutory rape. He was acquitted because his lawyers argued successfully that, you know, they couldn't prove that it was him on the tape, basically. Mm-hmm. And since then, there have not been any other criminal actions against him. There have been... We know of at least four civil lawsuits over the years, and a lawyer for a bunch of other alleged victims has said that she's settled, I think she said over a dozen. That's wild. Other suits before they went to trial. Yeah, but so if you don't know about any of that, if you just know about that tape, and if you are, as our source was, this woman that we call um, Kim, you know, she was a huge R. Kelly fan, and she was a huge R. Kelly fan since she was a kid, is what she was saying. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> And so, but I mean, he was on the Space Jam soundtrack. Right, he was like, on the Space Jam. I I was personally not a R. Kelly fan as a kid, but you know, it's not it's not my audience. Um, and so, I think she was able to tell herself going into it, like, okay, I am a self aware person. Like, right. I'm very self sufficient. I'm going to be okay. And clearly, anybody else in his orbit right now is also going to take care of themselves and be smart. And that's what a lot of these parents said about their daughters, where it's just like, yeah, I had heard the rumors, but I figured, you know, I'm with her. I think this will be safe because I'm here. Right. I have a hard time buying into that parental logic just because I cannot imagine being that fast and loose with your child's well-being. Right. But at the same time, all of these, at least for the parents who have come forward, all of these women were 19, 20. You know, they could have ultimately done what they wanted to no matter what. Right. But it's still very hard for me to swallow. It's tough. It's tough. It's really it's really hard not to get judgmental with the parents and be like, yeah, you thought you were going to be able to keep your daughter, you know, by your side every minute. You don't yeah. think R. Kelly has some practice at this, right. allegedly? Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the woman who contacted us, you know, wanted to confirm some of the details of the BuzzFeed piece and also, I think, you know, contacted us as part of trying to figure out what her role was in this situation and was sort of trying to make sense of it. But yeah, it was also very clear that she was like, no, this is wrong. Like, And it's scary to come forward. It's like he is very powerful. He is well-respected in the music industry. He has a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even I realized her reaction to your piece was sort of just like, well, why is she doing this now? Right. Or like, you know, people in the comments were like, she should be locked up, which is ridiculous. No, she shouldn't. Right. That's absurd. So, yeah, I don't know. I I see a lot of reasons why people would not want to come forward. And since that piece came out, my piece, um, we've gotten a few other tips. So 
So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> so this is actually something I would like to get into. Yeah. Um, because again, this is broader than R. Kelly. There are there's a long history of powerful, famous men using young women or allegedly using young women. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes back forever, right? But it's like it's particularly in the entertainment industry, it's like we have a lot of people who have these sorted histories that it's hard for, one, it's hard for us to remember them for some reason. Right. It's like our cultural memory is very short. And it's gotten shorter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But how do you report on allegations for someone who is litigious and very powerful? How do you approach that as a reporter? Yeah, it's a good question. And obviously, it's something that's on our minds a lot as, you know, people who are part of a company that got shut down, you know, right. by a legit litigious billionaire. Behind a high-profile court case of Hulk Hogan versus the gossip website Gawker was a secret. Hogan, whose real name is Terry Bollea, got nearly $10 million to pay for his legal team from Silicon Valley billionaire Peter Thiel. So in this instance, it was really important to me to have as much documentation from her as possible. I got, you know, her Instagram so that I could go back through it and check dates when she was in what city versus R. Kelly's past tour dates. Like I did as much, you know, collating mm-hmm. as possible um, to line things up. And again, she was really unusual because she gave me everything I asked for. I kept right. going back and being like, can you give me this? Can you show me this? Like, do you, and when she didn't remember something, she told me. Yeah. Um, but also obviously like it's important to give R. Kelly a chance to respond. And so we tried that. We went to his civil attorney who didn't respond and we went to RCA, his record company who didn't respond. And then, um, I got a call from a PR person named Trevian Cootie who is a woman who is now, I guess, representing him as an independent PR agent who evidently has been friends with R. Kelly for a long time. Her social media has, you know, photos of the two of them at parties and stuff. Um, So I would say that, you know, we approach this the same way we approach everything, which is like try to find as much proof as possible when we're just going on her word like that is mentioned in the piece. And also like at this point for R. Kelly and for some of these other people, this is not a surprise. Like, right. I am not going to be like, R. Kelly, I'm not sure if you've heard this, but people are accusing you of sexual abuse. Yeah, you know? shocker. Shocker. Well, and it's interesting to see how people approach it. You know, like Woody Allen, for example, has right. gotten to a point where he's like, I'm just not going to discuss that stuff. It's not, I forget what he says about it now. We'll all remember that 20 years ago, the bitter breakup between uh, Mia Farrow and Woody Allen was making headlines. Most surprising at the time were these allegations that he had sexually abused the couple's seven-year-old adopted daughter, Dylan Farrow. Those allegations have resurfaced now. Woody Allen has denied the allegations, but for the most part, he does not talk to reporters about it, period. But I think, um, you know, one thing that Jim Derogatis talked about was he said that he had trouble finding a place to publish that piece that ultimately went in BuzzFeed. Yeah. And he specifically said, post Gawker Hulk Hogan, I had difficulty, which I was disappointed to hear because obviously, like, we still run those kinds of things. And I think it's really important for the public at large to know that everyone is still doing those stories and that right. those stories are not so risky they can't be done. Because sexually abusive people probably want to know that the media is afraid to report on them. So it's important to be very clear that we're not. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it is so craven that places wouldn't run that story. Right. There was a lot of discussion about that, like on journalist Twitter after that story ran and someone who was saying like, you know, 
I've heard all kinds of tips about this. That there are multiple people right. who are just like, yeah, I've known about this for years and I haven't been able to. And it's just like. It's not something to brag about, guys. Right. Like, what's wrong with you? What's yeah, wrong with definitely. you? I have one sexual abuse story that I'm sure you know. It's kind of an open secret at the company that I've been pursuing for a really long time that I haven't been able to report on yet. And it's really frustrating, but yeah. believe me, <laughs> if I was able to, yeah, by the kind of proof that exists in the R. Kelly situation, I would have run it by now. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, it's just, I mean, I get why you can't just publish anything, right? Because right. someone could say like, oh, Madeline Davies sure. did all these things. Sure. And does it just publish it and, right. you know, people would probably believe it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I get it. But then it's also when things are like these like known secrets. <sighs> It's really know. frustrating. It's really frustrating. But the R. Kelly situation has reached sort of critical mass where it's like, okay. It's, yeah, I hope keep. so. Well, it's, I mean, and he's talked about this and you wrote about it in your piece. It keeps coming up and then dying down again. And I, I hope that we don't do that this time. But I mean, I feel like we have to address that like Jezebel's been guilty of that definitely. where it's like we've been, this was nothing that either of us wrote. Mm-hmm. But there are times years ago, kind of before this reemerged where we were flippant about his career. Sure. Because um, his his music is super campy and a lot of the ways that he writes about sex and romance are just like ridiculous. Like right. the first time I saw Trapped in the Closet, I was in a 24-hour Walmart in the middle of the night. Hurry up and get in the closet, she said. Don't you make a sound. In the middle of the night and it was playing on a like a bank of TVs. And it was just this, like, hallucinatory moment where I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is going on? So, yeah, it's really easy, especially, like, you see all these pieces from, like, you know, 2012, 2013 that are very jokey about R. Kelly. And I'm hoping that at the very least we don't do that anymore. Right. Definitely. And as we've said before in this podcast, it's not just R. Kelly. We have, you know, there's Roman Polanski. There's Woody Allen. There are lots of people who have these very sordid histories that— yeah go unchecked by the public because we like their art or, you know, we think they're funny or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, and I don't think there's an answer to this, so I'm not expecting you to answer it. Like, what is our cultural responsibility here when approaching these types of artists? I think it's changed, too. And this came up after David Bowie died because David Bowie apparently had talked about having sex with 13-year-olds in the 70s. I haven't seen those interviews firsthand, but that came up a great deal after he died. Well, and the girls have definitely talked talked about about it. it. Yeah, and there's, you know, like, um, there was more of that, I would say, especially, like, in rock history Mm -hmm. in the 60s and 70s. That was when sort of, like, classic, like, groupie culture was, like, And there was the whole, like, baby groupie phenomenon, which is so creepy. It was really creepy. And they're, like, there were really gross stories about, like, Led Zeppelin. There's, like, one really infamous one about Led Zeppelin that probably everyone can sort of think of. Um, Like, where he he kept a girl in a hotel room for, like... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's really gross. Um, For weeks, I don't know. Right, I think our sense of what is acceptable has changed. I think it's changed as there are, like, frankly, like, more women in journalism being like, "What, what the hell is this? I think fundamentally our responsibility is not to forget, you know, and not to write about these people in a way where we don't reference these allegations or we glance over them. Right. Or whatever. I mean, there's a very, just kind of like thinking of the baby groupie thing, there's always still this excuse of like, it was the 70s, like it was a heady time. But there's also, I mean, there are examples like Pamela DeBar is a classic example, right, of like a groupie who wrote about being a groupie, who wrote about it as an aspect of like sexual agency and sexual freedom, and who was an adult. Yeah. Like it very, also very important that she was an adult. Like one thing that's come up a lot with the R. Kelly thing is like, what makes him different than Hugh Hefner? Right. You know, I saw a lot of that like on Twitter 
why is he different than Hugh Hefner? And in one sense, you know, like Hugh Hefner's latest round of girlfriends were 19. It also, was, like Hugh Hefner is disgusting. Hugh Hefner is <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Like no one is defending him. Yeah. But also like the women who were living with him and who were on his reality show were already like playboy playmates. Like yeah. they were trying to get to the next level of fame through having a sexual relationship with like a creepy horror show. Yeah. But, a um, melting wax figure. Right. But it's not quite the same. Yeah. I'm sure that things, if you like dug back through Hugh Hefner's history, I'm sure that there's a lot of oh yeah, very questionable things. But Well, and Holly Madison, you know, yeah. alleged that he was abusive and that got covered. So it's not like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I think her co-girlfriend, Kendra Wilkinson, right. in a in an attempt to besmirch Holly Madison, mm. kind of ended up confirming everything where she was just like... Hey, you know, she could have, like, you know, stuck it up the right hole to for her to get <laughs> pregnant, you know? But she didn't. <laughs> she was the cleanup crew. Oh, no. Oh, she was, no. She was the cleanup crew, and she's embarrassed. So... And, like, if you're going to live that kind of life, like... You got to be open because this is what happened. Oh, and it's just like that God. doesn't dispute anything she said. Right. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard. These are hard things to write about. It's really uncomfortable. You want to make sure that you're not just like repeating gross things for the purpose of repeating gross things. Like, yeah, it's, you know. I'm just happy that Holly Madison traded up to Chris Angel. Did she really? For a while. Yeah. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> Still, I mean, like, Oof. it's weird to, like, to think of, like, when Chris Angel is, like, a massive improvement he of your last boyfriend. I mean, he was also a big deal for a while. Okay. Yeah, okay, mind well. freak. Are you ready? Um, <laughs> but, again, not making light of anything. Yeah, whatever. Um, I think another really important thing, which we've touched on, is a way that we can do better moving forward mm -hmm. is not to demonize the women who come forward and yes. not to, I mean, of course, like you ask for the receipts, you get the proof. You can't just accuse anybody of anything. Right. But at the same time, when they provide those things, it is very counterproductive to just be like, these girls are just like gold diggers. They're right. just, you know, it's like, well, why didn't, why did she sleep with him in the first place? Right. Where it's like people do stupid things for all kinds of reasons. I it's mean, just, it's also like I had a very frank conversation with our source about that where I was like, you know, what's up with this? Like, what's your deal? Like, are these the kind of men you date? And she was like, yeah, I like having sex with powerful people. And I was like, okay, great. You know, yeah. like that's real. Like, so, yeah, I don't know. I think that demonizing them is just one aspect of letting letting these guys off the hook. Yeah, definitely. You know? And saying, well, that couldn't happen to me. That couldn't happen to anybody who's... The implication is, like, this doesn't happen to good people. This only happens to people who ask for it, which is just another element of how we blame victims. Yeah, and just how uh, we all hate women so, so much. Hate <laughs> Everyone hates women so much. It is. It never <laughs> fails to shock me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though I should be used to it by now. I know. We both should. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, do you have any other thoughts? Uh, I would just say that, you know, if you know of someone who's sexually abusive, please email tips at Jezebel.com and, you know, let us uh, let us get in there. Let us write about it. People yeah, because still... we want to. I mean, and I hope it goes without saying that if you are in a dangerous situation or you find yourself in a dangerous situation, please contact the authorities or you can always contact. There's lots of abuse hotlines. Um, the National Sexual Assault Hotline, uh, you can reach at one 800 656-4673. Yeah. I think that's important to note that, like, there are state and local authorities or national hotlines. Um, it's also—I I was just thinking about um, a story 
that I think recently happened, I think it was in Pennsylvania, where this guy was keeping like eight children captive in his house. Uh, and the neighbors finally were like, we've been seeing these little girls dressed alike for years. And they finally called the police. So like, don't be afraid <laughs> yeah. to say something. If you see something, If say you think something. you're seeing something immoral, like, say something. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. also, I think it's important to know, and I don't mean to be overly saccharine, but if someone's a victim of this type of thing, I think it's important that they know that there are people out there who support them. And, you know, even though we don't know them, we care about them. And so our reporting is not just to, like, bring down famous men. You know, right. it's also to serve justice to people who are being victimized. And however we can do that, I think, is very important and should be the main focus. I agree. Thank you so much for listening to Dirtcast, and thank you to Anna Merlin. Our show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Treese. Manana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. This episode was mixed by Brad Fisher. Want to send us a tip or just let us know what you think? Hit us up at dirtcast at jezebel.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this is special desks reporter, desks reporter. <laughs> she reports on desks. Um, she writes about really Ikea. <laughs> uh, in the studio, we have special desk reporter, Jezebel reporter, Anna Merlin, who's laughing at me. Special project stuff. Fuck. I'm sorry. <laughs>